Welcome to Cloudlandia. Wow. Mr. Sullivan. Wow. Yes. Recorded and in, transcribed. It's so good. We live in, we're living in increasingly turbulent times. That's true. But yeah. I'll tell you what, the great thing about it is at this particular moment, at this particular outpost in the mainland, it's the absolute perfect temperature, the Four Seasons Valhalla. Absolutely like room temperature with a slight breeze, quiet, sits perfect. Well, at our global domination compound in Toronto, we're having a perfect <laughs> all day. Global <laughs> domination compound. That is true. I don't want to own the whole. That with the steepled fingers. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to own the whole world. I just want all the property next to mine. <laughs> yeah, I was excited about your idea of getting the house behind you to have that full drive through. Driveway, but they uh, given up on that. Yeah, that might bring the furies down on us. You know, <laughs> so far we've we've escaped scrutiny. Uh-huh. You know, but anyway, yeah. Well, one thing that I thought would be interesting is kind of a Cloudlandia, <clears throat> and that's that um, Taylor Swift's, you know, movie, her tour yes. movie, uh, has done I think worldwide with U.S has done 150 million in two weeks. And Even, both weeks. I mean, it's really, and she's both only, weeks. yeah, she's only, she's only playing it, you know, Thursday to Sunday because she's not, she doesn't want kids neglecting homework. So she doesn't, you can't go see it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You can only go well, I see think she it. Neglect, I think she neglected hers and look where she is. <laughs> exactly. But I think that alone, brilliant. I mean, the fact that tour alone, her live tour was one, you know, one of the biggest tours ever. Now the recording of it, I think she's going to make another billion dollars with it, you know? Yeah. But the interesting thing about it is she bypassed Hollywood altogether, mm-hmm. which is the mainland and they just wanted their 20% for being Hollywood and she just bypassed it. And that comes right after the strike that shut everything down for one of the griefs being, of course, being live streaming. And the other one probably being AI that's replacing a lot of the 80% work in Hollywood. In other words, first draft scripts and everything else can now get done with AI. And then uh-huh. you bring in the you bring in the craftsman to actually, you know, take it the final twenty percent. Yeah, and these are well definitely. I think that's especially are, true. I think that's especially true, Dan, for content. You know, let's call it streaming or television or documentary content that is book report content that is like writing a. You know, if, if we were to do a documentary about the, you know, evolution of print, starting with Guten or starting with the, you know, the Chinese on papyrus, mm-hmm. you know, back mm-hmm. in 10, 12 or whatever. A long time a long ago. That I, I think that that would be the kind of thing where AI would be able to write a script, research, write a script that would be 80% of what you would need to do a compelling documentary about that compared to the creative act of creating something 
new, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. On a previous episode, I told you about the little experiment I'm doing with uh, converting my chapters of this particular book. So this mm-hmm. is my book number 36 in the 36th quarter. And it's called Everything, Everyone and Everything Grows. That's the name of the book. Mm-hmm. It's the backstage, it's the backstage description of Strategic Coach since 1989. Mm-hmm. We put our backstage together. And as I was going through, I've been reading a lot of books on Shakespeare. And there's something consciousness altering about the speech structure that they used. I mean, it wasn't just Shakespeare. It was of the time. It was, you know, around 1600 in Great Britain. It was called iambic pentameter. And it was 10 beats per line. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Mike Koenigs, knowing I'm interested in this, sent an article which has to do with they scientifically prove that iambic pentameter, actually your heart matches the beats after you listen to a minute or two, somebody doing iambic pentameter, your heartbeat gets in sync with it, the 10 beats, 10 beats. Is that right? Yeah, because it's thumb, you know, and, and anyway, so I had, I've got a great team member by the name of Alex Barley, and Alex is from the UK. He lives in Toronto. But mm-hmm. he was actually born in Sher- born and grew up in Sherwood Forest, yeah. which is an interesting yeah. fact. Uh, yeah, Sherwood Forest is a big area, and them on the trees, there's seven little towns, and uh, he was born in one of the towns. And his oh, father okay. actually has his father actually has a pub that opened in 1604. So, and uh, remember, we have uh, we have someone in strategic coach who does those forest getaways or has. Gary Fletcher, uh, he's in free zone. Gary Fletcher, he's actually yeah. In free zone. yeah, yeah, he, yeah. And anyway, so I had him take a chapter that was on unique ability and unique ability teamwork, and I had him convert it into ambic pentameter, and it was startling to get it back because all the ideas are there, but the ideas are put together in a different way, and it was uh-huh. just I just found it. Fascinating. And I said, boy, if I had a really great Shakespearean actor, you know, somebody who could really speak the language and listen to it back rather than just reading it. So I was talking to Alex about it and I said, my favorite would be Richard Burton. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, gee, I really wouldn't know how to do that. So we went to Mike Koenigs and Mike knew how to do it. And so Mike gave Alex a couple sites where you could go to and experiment with them. And about two days later, from the time of my request to Alex, I got back Richard Burton, and it was Richard Burton. It was totally Richard Burton. And I've I've listened to it about 15, 15 times. And every time I listen to it, it has a greater impact. And I played it for team members. And the team members say, boy, I'd like to have that to listen to before I go to bed at night and everything like that. And so I asked him, did it, you know, when you first made the translation, in other words, you had the AI voice. He says, no, it was just it was just sort of mechanical. And he says, so what I did is I got actual recordings of Richard Burton and I would listen to it 
And then I would go through and I would change the timing. I would change. And he says, I put in some breath intakes. And he said, I would, you know, he says he rushes ahead, then he speeds up and then he does it. It's very unpredictable yeah. what Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. And he did this all. So it's actually AI times the craftsman. That's right. a, the percent plus the human craftsman, you know, because and he, a human ear, you know, just has infinitely greater sensitivity to how things actually work than a cal- calculated, you know, a mechanical thing. And, and wouldn't do it. It wouldn't deliver it evenly, you know. Uh-huh. And and Richard Burton in particular has a way of making words explode just by saying the word, and then he'll yeah, move he's got on. That kind of filtered delivery too. You know, William Shatner, in a way, like different in a way. Yeah, that I had never fit. put. And, yeah, I'd never put William Shatner and Richard no, no. together in my in my brain. Yeah, but right, the, right, the right. interesting thing about it, the interesting thing about it was, we've done two uh, two chapters now, and you could see Alex is getting more inventive, and uh-huh. you know, and he's really getting into the poetry, and it's in rhyme. So with iambic pentameter, you can have it as prose or you can have it as rhyme. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, since we're going the route of Richard Burton, I should uh, put it in. But I was struck because um, I'm only going to use this for backstage with Coach. I'm I'm only going to use this with and the Baron of the Four Seasons Valhalla. I might talk to the warlord. Talk talk to the warlord there. I mean because. He's almost backstage. Anyway, any, anyway, but it just does something. But what I'm noticing is changing my writing style as I go forward because I've got that voice in my ear and I'm writing it to sort of meet the voice halfway, you know, halfway. Oh, that's interesting. You know, that, yeah. that, that it's an easy pickup. I mean, I can't talk like that. I don't sound like that and everything, but it's how I am. Doing my writing has been changing as I've listened listening to Richard Burton telling me what it yeah. sounds like in Shakespeare's age, Shakespeare's time. This is, you know, a couple of things jump out at me, you know, as you're talking about that and Alex's joy in tinkering. And, you know, it's a creative act using, he's using owning technology like a good dog. Essentially, yes. right? I mean, that's really what he's doing there. And yeah. it reminded me of, you know, Peter Diamandis talking about these centaurs, you know, the chess masters paired with an AI that yeah. they can override or direct or, or, you know, run things by or amplify their calculations or, you know, confirm their hunches. That's a that's really the way forward, isn't it? I mean, it seems like that's the well. What it suggests is that that if you're a mechanical human being, uh, yeah. this new form of mechanical will wipe you out. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. But you're if you decide to take refuge in being creative, they'll probably just offer you a deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, what's their, they're a hybrid for this, like a creative machine or a, I mean, there's something here because even the AI is not doing it on its own. Like, you know, some people are going to distance themselves 
like what what we've seen Mike Koenigs do is, yeah. you know, he's distancing himself as a skilled operator of these uh, new advantages, you know? The, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. There was an interesting lab test that was done in the Soviet Union before the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it was that they wanted to see if they could turn a fox, turn foxes into dogs. And uh, so uh, they could do it through basically two-year generations. You know, in other words, a fox at two years old is a fully grown fox. So you Uh just have a two-year from birth till adulthood. And, And they went through 10 generations where each generation, they picked a fox that was more docile. Okay, it didn't have aggressive. Uh-huh. It it wasn't paranoid. It wasn't. It was sort of friendly and docile. And by uh-huh. the tenth generation, the the genetic product, GMO, had enormous number of dog characteristics. It was friendly. It was you know it would come up and it would you know it would dog characteristics. And they decided to put the the dog fox or the fox dog. Uh-huh. And an actual dog, and they chose a. I think it was a German Shepherd, and they put it through a. <clears throat> and this, they had it in the puppy stage, so it was you know about six to six to eight months old, and they put it through an obstacle course that they was designed so that the animal couldn't solve it. They would hit a wall where they just couldn't solve it, and it was very interesting that the fox dog when confronted with the final barrier, just curled up, went feral. He just put, you know, he just went into a, you know, you know, wrapped himself up. He just, he was just uh-huh. defeated and he wrapped up. The moment that the dog actually hit the thing, he turned around and he searched out his owner and he says, Hey buddy. Hey buddy. I need your help here. <laughs> okay. Your turn. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, they don't know if they can teach that. They don't know if they can actually, they can genetically. I was just writing. It's pretty, funny when you said that I was writing down uh, nature versus nurture. Is that, you know, what was it that, you know, they change it genetically to, to modify it, but were they also. But they tying, didn't, you know, they couldn't domesticating it. They couldn't genetically reproduce the teamwork. That's probably yeah. part of the uh, inheritance of dogs. In other words, they trace it back 30,000 years since humans domesticated wolves to produce dogs. And, you know, that's a lot of generations of canines. And Mm -hmm. anyway, but it it tells me kind of, that's why I wrote the book, you know, Owning Technology Like a Great Dog, is Mm -hmm. that we've got this 30,000 year experience and the animals do of kind of working out teamwork with dogs and certain breeds are better, certain breeds are good for this, certain breeds are good for that. And we've kind of developed kind of a real deep knowledge, you know, and, you know, they can do about 150 different tasks at this stage, Doug. So, you know, some of them can, some of them can know a thousand, as much as a thousand words. If you say a word, they know, they know exactly what, they know what it refers to. It's always refers to an object, uh-huh. refers to an act, it refers to an activity. Okay. They're not high on the concept level, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, they have a good memory of, have you seen those, yeah. there's videos and there's, uh, you know, concepts of people setting up all these like 
you know, buttons on their floor that with our label that a, a dog can like push the yellow thing and it says a single word like walk. And so it knows to push that and when it wants to go mm-hmm. for a walk or a treat, yeah. it can push treat. Yeah. Or a, mm-hmm. And I wondered yeah. about whether that's, I mean, it seems real, but I wonder, so you're kind of confirming that, that they're able to uh, build that kind of vocabulary. Yeah, there was a professor in, I think, South Carolina. He was uh-huh. near retirement and he was a psychology professor and he just wanted to see how many words and he got uh, sort of a border collie type. Uh, mm-hmm. Border collies are just super smart, you know, and they're mm-hmm. super responsive. And mm-hmm. and he got the dog to uh, a thousand words of mm-hmm. of everyday objects. The dog, you could, he knew all the dogs' names of all the dogs in the neighborhood, and the dog had a very definite opinion about each one of them. You know, okay. so if you said Max, if you said Max, he, his tail would wag, and if, if you said Irving, it would uh, go, Ugh. doesn't like Irving. You know, and everything. First of all, you right, you know right off the bat that a dog gets, gets named Irving it probably has uh, a difficult environment. Why would you do that? But Fred Feisman, I don't know if you've ever met him. He's a coach client, probably 15 years in. Uh, he's in 10 times. And he was a cowboy in British Columbia for 10 years, where every May he and another cowboy would take out 3,000 head of cattle and move them through um, elevations of pasture land. So, in British Columbia, you can have four levels of uh, four levels, uh, you know, uh, geological levels. Okay, mm-hmm. and then we take them out to the high, the high grazing area, and then they would mm-hmm. gradually bring them in. And and so it was Fred. It was a partner and a dog. And I said, if you had to lose one of them the dog or the partner, which one would you lose? He said, I'd lose the partner. Just me and the dog could take care of all 3,000 because the dog always knew which steer was the lead steer and would get the Mm. lead steer. He also knew the route. He also knew the route. And plus he checked for predators like wolves, coyotes, bears, and everything else. And, you know, would yap like that. Tigers and and bears. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it was really interesting. He said, a great trail dog is, it's, you know, he says, you can't put a price on how good they are, but they're not doing anything more than they were taught. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I just got my, I got a bomb with my copy of how to use technology, like a good dog, how to own technology, like a good dog. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, reading it. I haven't yeah, uh, and it's really about gotten to dive uh, in yet. ownership. I mean, it's not a question of owning technology or owning your dog. Do you actually own your right. life? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really about ownership uh, more than it's about dogs or technology. You know, but the <laughs> big thing is that I think that in learning how to interact with AI, we're going to learn about learn a lot about what human intelligence actually is. I think we're going to learn more from this interaction than we've learned from all the psychological studies possible because it's going to be interactive all the time. What gets the best mm-hmm. result, you know? And 
Correspondingly, the, you know, I mean, we'll have more knowledge about it, but it, you know, more knowledge about us will be built into the programming of the AI. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything recently that has wowed you or changed your opinion about the usefulness or the, or the, the you know, future of AI like this? Like, it, in terms of, it sounds like your Richard Burton experience has shaped some new enthusiasm. Well, what I get is that all the breakthroughs will be specific. They'll be individual mm-hmm. and specific. So right mm-hmm. now, I don't know how many in the first two or three months, you know, plugged into chat GPT. And then, of course, there's mm-hmm. hundreds of other, there's other, hundreds of others specialized AI. And my sense is that it's transforming the world, but there would be no overview on how that's happening because it's happening in a hundred million different situations in a different way. So if anything, so if the, the, the ability to have an oversight or an overview of this, I think Mm -hmm. it was impossible on day one. Yeah. And you know, it reminded me of like, as I was kind of reflecting on it is, I mean, the use that I'm using of who would think of that? And right. There wouldn't be anyone else that would even, well, if, why would you do that? And I said, I found it kind of neat. Yeah. You know, I, I was looking at it, thinking back on like this as one of the the major things of the big change of 1975 to 2025, that AI as the uh, platform, I don't know whether platform is the right word or what it is, just like television was a, uh, that was the big capability that was brought and started out with, you know, just the ability to, you know, have the three national channels and broadcast things. But in the earliest stages of television, nobody really knew what to do with it in, in that they were just bringing radio to television. They were reenacting, like turn the camera on and and do radio theater. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember the 1950s sort of programs that were kind of dramatic and they'd have the opening yeah. of the curtain. They'd have the opening of the yeah. curtains, you know, and because they, well, they're putting on a show. So right. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. Well, you, but yeah. And, but here's the thing that the net, networks were still networks that were broadly shared. You know, they were in competition with each other, but it was, you were on one network, you were on the network. I think it was, you're on a billion different networks, you know, and each of yeah. the each of the networks is being uniquely custom designed for particular purposes by particular people yeah. for uh-huh. you know, and everything like that. And my sense is the whole notion that there's gonna be an overarching system like uh Facebook or something like that, I, I don't see uh-huh. that happening. I mean I mean no. I'm guessing embedding and you know, I'm guessing embedding just like mm-hmm. everyone else. But I don't really care how other people are using it. I only care how I'm going to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, and you probably got, you've probably cornered the market on turning thinking tools into Richard Burton readings of iambic pentameter. Yeah, 
You know, I one look back one. and see, see if anybody's trailing me, and I, I haven't picked up on anything so far. <laughs> it's a blue ocean strategy. <laughs> yeah. The other one we're doing, I don't know if you know Joe Stolte. He's, uh, Joe is the runner of the, you know, the AI newsletter that Evan Pagan and uh, Peter oh, yeah, Diamandis. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. He was on yeah, uh, 100K. Uh, with Joe 100, yeah, 100K. Yeah. Yeah. So I met, I met. Joe at 100K, and he just mm-hmm. said what it will do. And so we've been going now, I think we've got 12 episodes out. And and they do an interview with you online, you know, thought leadership, other pe- people you like, articles you like, and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then they keep fine-tuning what it is that you really want. But our last, we've had, in the last seven episodes, we've had five of them with a more than an 80% open rate for the entire mm-hmm. issue. And then, and we had one, I had one uh, interview. It was a podcast interview with Mike Koenigs. We got a 95% open, open rate. Okay. That's wild. And, and it takes no work on our part to, to create the issue. You know, mm-hmm. and so it gives you the results from your previous issue. And then it shows you what the next issue is based on the the rates of the last issue mm-hmm. and but you're learning a lot about what we're learning a lot about what people really like listening to and what they mm-hmm. like you know so it's, it's an interesting thing and he's great to work mm-hmm. with i really like him and his team so yeah it's called daily.com i think it's called daily.com okay yeah it's great. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, we'll put out probably... So you like the idea of, of not having to do anything and it happening. That's pretty good. Well, it's all existing creativity. A lot of it yeah. is existing articles. It's existing. Yeah. So we're repurposing. I mean, we're getting a repurpose out of existing articles and all the content is original content. You know, yeah. I love that. I'm just realizing that's if we're guessing and betting people's uh, fondness for things that do the things they would like to do, especially if it's things that uh, they would do if they could count on them to do it. You know, that's kind of a, there's a good thing there. We've recently in my go agent world here, our realtor um, launched the new real estate accelerator program where we're actually doing it's a who not how model of implementing the listing agent lifestyle elements in someone's business. Yep. So I've created that framework of the you know core five things that people mm-hmm. you know the bankable results that they can get referrals yep. and multiply their listings, get convert leads, find buyers, get listings. Those things I've got you know core programs and you know shortcuts and programs for them to do them and i was having in conversation with diane the who kind of runs that division with me she i was saying you know what we've been doing is we've been selling gym memberships essentially to go agent where we've got all of the stuff all the tools all the ip everything you need to implement it and you just come on in and access it and do what you uh, do what you want. And we observed that very few people, you know, actually do the stuff that we know. No, this is the secret sauce of gym memberships. 40% never yeah. show up. 
they pay for the whole year and never show up once. That's exactly. So we're running that same model. And (laughs) for someone, you know, I like to see people get the results, you know, and so I've been doing these, you know, workshops where I thought, okay, we'll do these implementation workshops where we'll spend, you know, five weeks and we'll do a weekly session on each of the things as like a booster to get you focused on, on here's what to do kind of thing. And I observed we've done that for a year and realized that improves the, that improves the implementation, but still overwhelmingly people are not able to rally themselves to do the things that they they know to do. And so we decided, well, what if we just did it for them? Right. And I recorded a video. I said, you know, I, I said, you know, I realized that I would be a really great real estate VA if I, if I came to work for you and did all the things that I know in your business. And I said, I know how to, I've been spending 35 years putting all of these pieces together and I know exactly what to do. And I went through and I outlined, here's what I would do if I came into your business, because I realized that really we could implement all of it in somebody's business with one synchronous 30 minute you know, check in at a fixed time with somebody that would then feed, you know, three to five hours of implementation in a week kind of thing for. And I was sharing it that it's like having a personal trainer instead of just a gym membership, you're meeting a personal trainer at the gym. And the difference is that we're going to do the the sit-ups and you're going to get the six-pack. That's really how the difference. <laughs> and every single person I've talked to, Dan, is on board with this because it's, oh, of course, it's, <laughs> you're selling the reward. <laughs> we do the setups, you get the six pack. No, you're selling the you're selling the impact without the effort. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, but you know, there'll still. I bet if you work out your percentages. Even that people won't go for, you know, because the they haven't escaped from fantasy land about uh, who they are and what they want to achieve. You know, one of the things that Peter Diamandis has the six D's regarding the digital revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, digitize, mm-hmm. deceptive, the demonetization, dematerialization, uh, democratization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Democrat- well, that. well yeah. The, as the sixth one, I'm saying, yeah, it's democratization in that the possibility is democratic. The utilization follows the same the same as anything that 10% will outdo 90%. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, there's so many. Everybody. That's a really interesting thing that there's just like in true, you know, in, in political democracy, there's opportunity, but not everybody takes advantage of it. Everybody has the opportunity to have a YouTube channel and reach the entire yeah. world, but there's only one Mr. P. Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, he's number two in the YouTube world. I think I there's somebody who's got more. I don't know who it is, but he's got the last one. I heard 201 million 
subscriber uh, followers, 201. Yeah, million. I think he's the number one individual, I think. Is yeah. How it works. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Well, it's very interesting, you know. Good for a young guy, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, he's got a future. This guy, he's got, you know, he's, he's going places. He's there, you know. You can tell him almost right away. You can tell him almost. You just get a feel. Anyway, the but the thing that I'm talking about, you know, I mean, the thing that I'm feeling is that I, I, I had a line one day. Peter uh, Diamandis and I were going back and forth, and he was talking about the future, this, the future, that. And I said, you know what I've noticed about the future? When you get there, it feels normal. Yes. Huh. As a matter of fact, it doesn't arrive until you've normalized it. Yeah. Uh, can you say more about that? Because that's that, what led you to well, that. Well, we don't like abnormal. Humans don't like abnormal. They like normal. Okay, and if you're asking them to do something new that's different, uh, mm -hmm. you have to show them how to go through a normalization process where they get used to it. You know, they get used to it. And mm -hmm. that's why I've been noticing high tech. Every company right now has to appoint a chief AI officer, a chief mm -hmm. AI officer. Ooh. Dean, where would this person be? You know, I mean, where would this person? I mean, I mean, do you even have room or space for a chief AI officer? Okay. And I said, no. I said, why don't you just bring in somebody smart who shows your entire team how they particularly and what they're doing can do this or that or this and this, and let them loose, you know, and see what comes out of it and see what comes mm -hmm. out of it. Why don't you just have self-empowered, you know, self-empowered team members, you know, in person or virtual, you know, or remote and just have them say, you know, is where could, what's the 20% that if you could get rid of it, which is, it still needs to get done, what would it be? And then say, well, there's an AI program that can do this. There's an AI program to this. And they get that 20% done. They say, well, what's the next 20% and just keep them going for 50 years. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, what, that's the approach. We don't have a chief AI officer. First of all, we don't have anyone who's called chief and we don't have anyone who's called officer because that sounds like the had chief. You're right, sir. You know, I think the Gestapo had chief something officer, you know. You know, and everything else. I don't like cheap something officer. I just don't like the sound of it. That's not not good for anybody. Oh, you know, right off the bat, I get the willies. That's funny. Yeah, that, that's a. So, how, how? What are you doing in that? Then, if, if, do you have someone whose role is helping the team become? No, AI we brought proficient? in Evan. We brought in Evan Ryan. He did a six uh -huh. module course how to think it through. And then he's off and running, you know, and he checks in and, you know, with the latest stuff of if they're doing this and they can look at that. So we have, you know, we have a already operating system in the company that's called unique ability teamwork. You know, mm -hmm. everybody's in their unique ability and everybody's doing a different aspect of necessary activity in the company. And they're all coordinating with each other. So it's virtually impossible for us to have a chief something officer because that's not the right. way the company works. 
Right. It's not a hierarchy. It's not a hierarchy. It's a network. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I yeah, mean, I'm, I'm not even I'm not even chief. It's just that Dan has certain unique abilities. He's really mm-hmm. good at coming up with new stuff. So where do you, yeah. need, you know, any especially new stuff that's offered to the public and we get paid for it, you know? Right. So, you know, you know uh, I'm not a boss in any meaningful way, except I'm the one to define what the next projects are. Yeah. But El Jefe. Right. Yeah, I, I think corporations are going to have a real hard time with this. I think anything that's a hierarchy and because there's one person at the top and there's a lot of middle people down to the bottom. And I get a sense it's useful at the very top and it's used use at the very. But in the middle, mm-hmm. I think all those jobs are fair game to get rid of. Have you been following Salim Mel's new well, not new, but kind of expansion on the exponential organizations like you're seeing. Yeah, I spent two days with him and, you know, yeah. at 100K. Cause he, yeah. And we were out to dinner on Friday night and we were sitting together and talking about it. And But, you know, the model is, from my standpoint, it's a big organization model. It's not really, it's, I mean... Because you got a, you got about 13 things that you have to check off, and you and I personally are done after three. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it requires somebody who's, uh, like, it almost feels like just... A chief exponential officer. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. It, it almost needs to be... I mean, like I like... Uh, I mean, Salim's, Salim's a great guy to talk to, you know, and he's a yeah. great thing. But I think he gets the big bucks from the big corporations. I don't think he get the, you know, he doesn't get the money like we get the money at the not from you know, entrepreneurs, right? We're, we're street level. We're street level men of the people, really. That's yeah, what we are. We're hustlers, street <laughs> hustlers. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's so funny, well, Dan. You know, I, I get such joy out of that. You know, like the I, I've been. You know, I go to a cafe here called Honeycomb Bread Bakers, and they, you know, one you learn the crowd and the people. There was there used to be a coffee shop called N Plus One, which I remember. Was I remember. The, yeah, yeah. So I would go there all the time, and N Plus One. That was pre-COVID, wasn't it? That was yeah, pre-COVID. Exactly. And, yeah, and during COVID. Yeah, or, you know, but they kind of uh, hit the wall during they never re- They didn't really recover from that in terms of it being a profitable business. It was attached to their bike shop, which was the main. And the <laughs> yeah. idea is, right. yeah, the idea was N plus one is the equation for, you know, how many coffees should you have, which is N equal the number of coffees you've had today plus one. That's how many coffee you should have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I got to know yeah, the like, owners. Uh, Peter Zion was saying that when you uh, lived on a farm, you had as many children as you could plus one. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody asked him, well, what's the plus one for? To know that you've had too many. <laughs> Same thing with coffee, well, I think. <laughs> you know, the fun thing is that riding a bicycle is a decidedly mainland adventure. And they serve an area in the 15-mile zone, what yeah. I'm calling it, the, the bubble, you know. And 
Do they so have like me, bike paths and everything? So there's that? bike paths all over Winter Haven. Yeah, yeah. lots of great yeah. places. But yeah. so over coffee a couple of weeks ago, he was asking for some marketing advice, like thinking we need to ramp things up. I went through this concept of you know the before, the during, and the after unit, and you know largest check and because I asked, you know, what's the best, if I could just line people up at your door right now, who would you want? What would, what's the highest margin thing? And it was e-bikes is the thing. And yeah. I said, so I have a learning that I've had from, you know, working with, I have a bathroom boutique client in Miami. And I've learned from doing this, that the, you know, putting a catalog together is a really great lead generator, right? Objective mm-hmm. data is all, rather than trying to convince people that they should buy a bike, let and put their, because they were running ads that were like, hey, we're the bike shop, here we are, we're in Winter Haven, and you know, bikes are great, kind of thing, getting their name out there. And I shared with him the concept of, and value of getting their name in here rather than getting your name out there. Let's get the names. Let's gather the names of everybody who's interested in e-bikes. And I proposed putting together this e-bike catalog with them. And so we did that. Put out my Facebook. I put up the ads for them and we're generating e-book, our e-bike catalog downloads for a dollar sixty six each so mm. said to him like you put this in the thing it's like for let's just give some room for improvement for our cost of the ads to go up but let's say that we can get a hundred people to you know metaphorically raise their hand and say hey i'm interested in an e-bike for 150 dollars we can get a hundred of them to raise their hand and you know, his average margin on a e-bike is around 600 to $700. And so, you know, it doesn't take many of those to engage with and, and them to buy a, a bike. Yeah. It's kind of funny. It's like the that I, I still, I get as much joy out of that as doing something with a big national yeah. company that, that's got. Yeah, I think the big thing that I'm getting them you know, this is an ongoing Cloudlandia uh, discussion. It's your growing understanding of exactly who you want to talk to mm-hmm. and, the, and the continual evolution of people knowing exactly who they want to hear, you know, actually mm-hmm. want to hear. And that bypasses an incredible amount of bureaucracy. You know, I mean, if mm-hmm. you think about the sheer amount of bureaucracy and my sense is that the current extreme polarization in what's called polarization, you know, political polarization and cultural polarization is that I think that the probably three or four generations who Take, took the route of high education. So in other words, starting in nursery school, they were competing to get into a great kindergarten, to compete to get into a great you know, uh, primary school, to get into a great 
university to get into it or get into a great high school, which got you to the university and the graduate uh-huh. school, that they're imperiled. I think uh, that they're imperiled. On the other hand, a 18-year-old who, after graduation, with no thought of university at all, takes a 10-week welding certification course, is making anywhere between 60 and 100,000 at the end of the, and he's the buyer or she's the buyer, Uh she's the buyer because, and probably, you know, within 10 years, they're making a million, they're making a million Uh uh, and they're bypassing the higher education all because the higher education is about abstractions, but AI is about extreme specificity. It's about Mm. extreme specificity. And I think that a lot of the uprising on universities and the polarization and the the cancel culture is they don't want to hear news about anything else except what they've been promised lies at the end of the rainbow, the abstraction Mm. rainbow. And it's just a general unsettling, you know. And, and I mean, think about it. You were in school from four years old to, let's say, 26 years old and have run up. I mean, it costs you an incredible amount if you could pay for it or it costs you an incredible amount in, you know, loans. And you're a quarter million or 400, uh, quarter million or you're $400,000 in debt when you graduate. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. You, yeah. And then you learn that there's a new technology that's just going to make everything you did for the last 22 years irrelevant, including you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right, right, right. So my sense is that it's the middle white collar, you know, the whole middle white collar part of the economy that's going to get clobbered, but not at the high end, people who are really creative, or at the end where people are really handy. You know, where people are really handy. I think that yeah, they're completely about that with Even things like, you know, legal associates, like people who are, you know, in big law firms, you know, the first and second year associates all do slaving away in the library looking up case law. How yeah, that or contract. Contract, alone. you know. Yeah. I mean, if somebody did a test of a particular deed on a particular property in another state that required about inputs from about seven different things, which generally takes about three and a half to four weeks to get the whole three. And the AI program did it in like 15 minutes, start to finish, and it was completely accurate. Wow. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, well, like you said, we're living in the future. It's We're normalizing that. Well, we're normalizing it on an individual basis. We're not normalizing it on a group basis. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's only the front runners, you mean, that are seeing that? No, it's just an alert, curious, responsive, resourceful individual who's got a particular thing in mind. And they found this Mm -hmm. new way of multiplying their productivity, multiplying their profitability. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, so, yeah, but see, everybody I had, I was, we were in Chicago last week and we have a G, you know, general practice. She's an internist and she's our mm-hmm. Chicago doorway to any kind of specialty that we need, you know, specialty medicine. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's going concierge. 
on November oh, 1st. Oh, nice, nice. And, and because we've been with her for about 15 years, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I can tell that the weight of the disease management industry is weighing down on her. We don't have yeah. a healthcare system. What we have is a disease management uh, right. system, you know. And and so, and I could tell she was lighter. She, I mean, she's had this light, energetic feel about her. And welcome to the entrepreneurial world, you know. Welcome. Uh, I said, you get paid for what you ask. You know, you get paid for what you ask. And she says, well, you know, I'm really worried about the fact that the people who don't have the access to you. And I said, you were worried about that before? I said, 99.9% of you didn't have access to you, you know, before this happened, including you didn't have access to you before this. Now you get access to you. And I said, that's the Mm -hmm. only change here. And I said, but you're going to get pickier and pickier about who gets to see you and everything. And I said, it's just uh, very natural. And she says, yeah, but the whole system, I mean, how I said, her name's Ami. And I said, Ami, there is no system. The biggest fallacy <laughs> about <laughs> fallacy, there are 10 million systems and you're one of yeah. them now. You're one of, yeah. one of the systems. I said, uh, the biggest fallacy, is, this is industrial thinking from 1900 to 1950 that there's a system. There is no system. You know, yeah. and I said there are, there are no systems. There's just there's just connected local neighborhoods. <laughs> so you, what you're saying really reminds me of of Ray Dalio's you know understanding of the market, saying how you know the when we talk about the auto market, what that really is just an aggregate construct of all the individual microtransactions. Between oh, yeah. one person buying one car, and you're saying the same. I feel that same way. That there's no system. The system is just made up yeah. of this aggregate of the individual microtransactions between one person with very precise medical needs, seeking them from one person. Yeah. 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 And uh, the it's like climate. There is no climate. People said, <laughs> you know, and I said the climate is just a 360 day average of what the temperatures were, you know, yeah. and what the precipitation was and what the wind was. Every day being entirely different from the other 364. And in order to get some sense of it, you you call it you average it, and they got to have a name for that, so they call it climate. There is no climate. There's just a lot of temperature. Right, right, right. <laughs> There's just a lot of weather. I, I've only experienced weather. I've never experienced climate. Climate <laughs> is this climate system. Weather is reality. Yeah, so I think the whole notion of systems, you know, is, you know. I mean, there's some big tools which are being used in common, but, you know, like the dollar is the reserve currency, right? You know, mm-hmm. and and everything else, but everybody's using dollars differently. They're they're using dollars for different reasons, you know, and and you know, or English, the English language, and there's no uniformity around the world. There's about a hundred different versions of English, you know, because it's it's the one language that you can get along extremely well speaking badly. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Can't do yeah. that with can't do that with French. I can tell you, you can't do that with French. 
Yeah. Well, but that's the language of romance. Yeah. So what did you get out of this? I mean, we wandered a bit today, which is our favorite activity. Absolutely. I, I think that's I think that's fantastic. I hadn't thought about the relationship between the system and the market in that parallel way that Ray Dalio. And I think that really, you know, it does come down to, uh, you know, being able, that's really what it is, being able to use whatever means to get an outcome for uh, people, you know, I'm bullish about the uh, the future here. Yeah. Now I'm just trying to think. I can do it next week because we're no, I can't do it next week. I'm on my way to Nashville next week. So I, but I can do it two weeks from now, and I'll be in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Okay, I will be here, and I will be anxious to hear about your Buenos Aires experience. Will you have had the experience? When we talk, no. or will you be no. there preparing? No. Uh, we for arrived. The uh, we got an overnight flight on Saturday, okay. two weeks from now, and and then uh, it starts on Monday. So uh, I'll this will be okay. the we're two hours ahead of you. So time wise, Buenos Aires is two hours ahead of where you In the are. Future and uh, yeah, all of South. Here's an interesting thing about, you, you know, where London, Ontario is, of course, because you yeah. lived halfway there. <laughs> but anyway, uh, all of South America sits east of uh, London, Ontario. Yeah, it's wild, right? You think it's underneath North America. It isn't. It, it goes way to the east. Actually, uh, yeah. Brazil is only a thousand miles from Africa. That's crazy. Yeah. Two-hour flight That's from Africa to Brazil. Yeah. Anyway. Well, then, I will be here with bells on, and I will look forward to it. You know what? And, We're both 10 quick starts. We're both ADD. Yeah. And yeah. That's, a prescription, that's a prescription for no system. That's exactly right. Delightfully so. All right. Okay. Two weeks from Thanks, now. Dan. Two weeks from now. Okay. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye.